Welcome to The Corner, La Source's digital show dedicated to the sport and entertainment industry. Every two weeks, we invite a professional to share their experience, background, and challenges. The sport industry moves fast, and having their insights is the best way to keep up to speed. Welcome to The Corner. Welcome, everyone, to our new episode of Luke Horner International. Today is our pleasure to welcome Michael and Eric. Hi, guys. How are you guys doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Very well. How are you? We're pretty well. We're pretty well. And David is with us as well. So we're going to have a two by two today on this Hi podcast. Guys. Hello, David. Hi, guys. One, one, one of the things we like to do in our podcasts, given the audience uh, and that the people usually know that you're working for one company that we are helping and partnering with, Slate, we would like you to just briefly present yourself, each of you, uh, give us a bit of your personal and professional background and how did you come to, to create Slate and, and be on the podcast, actually? Sure. Um, I guess I can go first. So this is Michael. Um, I'm one of the four co-founders here at Slate, along with Eric. Um, and CEO. I also kind of oversee, along with kind of CEO duties, oversee the product side of the company, um, more of the UX, UI, really digging into the, the features and feature design and, and things like that for you know both our mobile and, and web applications. Um, yeah, my background before before Slate really started more on the on the content creation side. You know, working with um, or working in teams much like we sell to now it's like our customers are now so i started more in the video production world that's kind of what i went to school for at at clemson uh where i was involved with the video production within the athletic department there as well um and then eventually went on from there and and was working at the san francisco 49ers as a video producer as well which is where eric and i actually met um but yeah, I worked all. I worked at the 49ers for a couple of years, editing video mostly for the website and for social media. Um, but while I was there, kind of living in Silicon Valley, you know, I was also started working on a lot of side projects and got really into kind of the tech startup world out there in California, and realized that was more where my passion really mm. lied was was in that sort of startup world. So. I kind of transitioned away from video production into the tech and the, into the startup world. Got a lot of freelance gigs with other smaller startups and, and eventually um, just went all in focusing on product design and moved over to New York City, where I am now, and started working for some agencies and eventually some other startups, just really building up that um, skill set of building products and what right. makes a really good product and what makes them sticky and um, did that and just, for a number Michael, of years. Moving, moving yeah. forward a little bit and uh, I will I will let Eric present himself as well, but yeah. is that right that you met uh, Eric during the time where you were working at the 49ers? And back then, because after you moved to, to New York City and you had some agencies, but um, did you already think of building something together or were you already like thinking about this or did it come later along the way to be working together? Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I'll let Eric touch on that as well. But I, I think from my opinion, it definitely, I, I'm not sure if I, if, if Eric and I at that time, like after I moved to New York, were really thinking about building something together. But back when I was working with the 49ers, Eric and I did brainstorm on, on ideas a lot. You know, we would get together and talk about different, um, you know, apps or websites or things like that, that we could potentially build. So it was something that both of us had always had that sort of entrepreneurial side that we were bouncing off of each other back when we were both working at the Niners. Um, okay, cool. And then we just stayed in touch and eventually made that, made that happen after I moved to New York. Made that move. All right. And Eric, for yourself, were you on the uh, video prod and technical and creative side of things or is it a bit more traditional college you did and yeah so i was um i was on the social media team at the 49ers so i was basically the one you know asking michael to make sure all videos were in the right size for instagram and um to send us stuff with subtitles on them because that's what we needed for facebook um, so, you know, we really kind of lived the the pain point that we're helping solve with Slate in how we interacted and worked with each other at, at the 49ers. Um, but while he was creating the content, I was much more day to day, like programming it across the website and social media. And yeah, I did that at the Niners for a few years. And as Michael mentioned, we definitely, we definitely had a lot of conversations and ideas going back and forth about companies and products. Um, I think it's inevitable, especially living down in Silicon Valley at that time to kind of get, to get bit by that bug a little bit. Um, and Michael, as he mentioned, kind of went all in on that. And I ended up going to the NFL after working for the 49ers, which is where I started my career back to the league office in, in Los Angeles to help start their um, international marketing function from a central standpoint. So I stayed within sports, stayed within the NFL, and basically spent the next four or five years after the 49ers helping grow the NFL outside of the US. So I got a ton of exposure to international sports and to football in Europe and um, Australia, which has definitely served us well. Uh, for Slate too, because the problems and obviously, you know, one of the reasons we're working with you all, the problems that face kind of the U.S. sports market are are similar internationally. So it was great to get that exposure um, and to really help the league do something that it hadn't invested much time and effort in uh, beforehand. And I got to travel a lot, which was super fun and awesome. Um, but yeah, so by the time, you know, I was, I guess I was almost five years into that job and I had spent almost a decade at the NFL. I was definitely ready for a new challenge. Michael and I would always, you know, still talk about the things that he was working on and he would bounce ideas off of me. And when kind of the, the spark for slate came about and we started talking more and more about it, it became pretty clear that it was something that I needed to, to leave the, the NFL mm -hmm. for. All right. on, on, on Michael, on Eric, like when, when you, you were like at the 49ers or at, at the NFL, like uh, the NFL of the 49ers had already anticipated the new production standard on like the change of behaviors or it was like after? It's probably more of a question for you, Eric. So were you they still, yeah. 
did did we already anticipate this change of behavior? Yeah, ex- exactly. Because in fact, your company is built like mm. on new consumption behaviors, but it was like already the case when you were at uh, the NFL or Fortune years, so it was like after. Yeah, yeah. I think I think in hindsight, we never talked about the idea for Slate while we were at the 49ers um, or when I was early at the NFL. It came about pretty soon, like before we actually built it. And the idea did but i think everything we were doing back then informed informed how quick and easy it was for us to say oh that's a great idea that's something that is needed in this industry um you know when i started at the niners social media was obviously very different than it is today um i think there wasn't even video on instagram yet you know facebook was the predominant platform and it was more about your website and sending links back to your website um, so there wouldn't have been a need for slate in those days, but things started to change as I was there and obviously evolved throughout my time at the NFL as the social platforms became more focused on short form video and graphic content creation and branding. And, and really your Instagram feed became your new homepage, mm-hmm. um, and digital websites, you know, became less important, especially in the media and sports world. So there's definitely looking back on it, things that we did that we could have used Slate for. I do remember at the Niners, I downloaded some random mobile app to add like watermarks to photos uh, because we didn't want to have to do that on our computer. And that is one of the things that Slate is used for by a lot of our customers. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a lot of things like that, that kind of informed, Hey, like this would have been something I would have definitely used, but the idea for it never was floated during those times. Okay. Okay. So I think it was also like, I, I mean, I remember like there's, there's a lot of pain points that I dealt with at the Niners as a, you know, producer that, you know, when I was creating content for either Instagram or for the website that slate would have been useful for, like just the sheer amount of, you know, running back and forth, especially like when you're traveling on, uh, you know, traveling from the game to the bus to the plane, and you're trying to post content at the same time, you know, that slate definitely would have been helpful for. But, but I also think back then, as, as Eric was saying, like a lot of the social platforms were so new still that teams were not putting as much effort into making sure things were like consistent and branded as they are today. You know, it was kind of like, you can almost do whatever you want because it's just like a fun little Instagram spot, like whatever, you know, post whatever you want there. But now it's like, you know, very consistent and on brand. And it's one of the most important things that they create content for. So it's uh, definitely a different world than it was when, when Eric and I were creating content for the 49ers. So from my angle is like, from what I can hear is that for your own entrepreneurial journey and the setup of Slate and this new startup was like, it's not as much your background or your studies that matter, but rather the first work experience and all the pain points you've seen from the other side of the table for your future clients, actually, that you've been able to see, experience. And so when the time was more or less relevant and that these platforms came also more mature and that more efforts were coming into it, then that was the right time for you to actually make a quick decision on this. Yeah, I'd say that's right. I mean, one thing I always say is like, yeah, it's 
working at the NFL and for NFL teams is what prepared me to do the startup, which is kind of weird because usually you got, want more entrepreneurial experience and experience in the tech world. Mm. But really everything we did in that kind of enterprise space and that brand space, you know, helped inform what we're doing now. And we have like a deep understanding of where we want to go with everything because we, we understand so well who our kind of buying persona is because we were that person. Um, and we kind of, I guess, grew up in our careers with those people. So not only has it helped us really understand the pain points and know exactly the product we want to build, it also helped us with business development and know the people to talk to and sell okay. into and how to speak their language and how to sell to these teams. So um, yeah, it's definitely what you said, like every, and it was at the right time. And I think everything we had learned and we kind of had that good mix because, because Michael had that experience, but then left to get into the startup world and then understood what it's like to start companies and work in tech and, you know, work with developers and build something from scratch while I continued on in my NFL career and got more experience, more connections, like a deeper understanding of the social space. So I think those two things together really paired well. Um, you know, the other thing I always say is like when Michael and I first talked about the idea for Slate, you know, if I had had that idea without speaking to Michael about it, I would have never actually created it. You know, it would have been like, oh, that's a cool idea. And maybe look up and find like, okay, maybe there's some other apps that do this and then just kind of forget about it. But to have like... So you had the vision and Michael had the execution to exactly, a certain extent? Exactly. He had the infrastructure. Not that the vision was just mine, but after, you know, that vision came to light and we both got excited about it, he had the infrastructure with the people who are now our co-founders that he was already working with to build a prototype. And then once it was in my hands and I could see it, look and feel it, like I was like, oh, this, I have to quit my job for this. <laughs> that's, that's how we com convinced Eric. We built it first and we're like, here it is. Yeah. Okay. But and once, and once he could play with it, with the beta, he was like, okay, I need to join these guys. Okay. I did, understand. Did that. you get I think like, he was some... already trying to join. <laughs> <laughs> and did you get some uh, early adopters for your product? Like, uh, did you work like with some franchises, like really like early uh, in your journey? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think um, that was one of the things that also made us so confident about it early on was, you know, at that, around that same time that, that Eric's talking about, we were sort of fortunate enough to create a prototype very quickly because we already had been working on a different product that we sort of pivoted into Slate um, with with our other two co-founders, Will Brook and, and Yuri Shubin. So the three of us were working on this other product. Eric and I were talking about what became Slate. We kind of made that pivot and we put it in front of a lot of people that Eric knew already from you know his time in the NFL. We put it in front of some people that I knew as well. And basically all the feedback was just unanimously amazing like in the mm. early days which was what made us so confident and and we for a little while even when we first started selling slate we were able to um you know say that no customer that had ever done a demo of slate had or no 
team that had ever demoed Slate had not become a customer. Like that was something that we were able to claim for like our first almost 20 customers or something. I think like it became a, um, a you know, a very good sign early on that, that those elders early adopters were willing to, to, to mm. sign on to a brand new product um, because we really knew we really were showing that we were solving some pain points that they, um, that they had and we were very familiar with from, from our time and experience in, in the NFL as well. I, for me, an interesting thing is like you mentioned other co-founders and usually, you know, when, when we talk about startups, we say, okay, what, what makes a great entrepreneur to you? Like what, what do you need? What are the skills or what is the mindset or anything? But I would maybe rephrase the question to what makes a good team or what makes a good mix of co-founders according to you or to your own experience? To, to make to make a startup successful uh, based on your journey I, I I'm not saying there is one recipe that needs to be yeah. copy paste by everybody but for you like if I had to ask you what makes a good team of entrepreneurs or co-founders together what what would be for you the, the vision you would have I mean for me it, it still does come down to each individual co-founder being sort of what makes a good entrepreneur back to kind of your original question is, is I think the most important part, but then if you have a great mixture of skill sets, like we have and a great mixture of experience, like we have between our co-founding team, that's, that's obviously even better, especially for the, the particular industry and market that we're, that we're working in. But I do think that it comes down to each individual co-founder on the team still needing to have what makes a great, entrepreneur, which, I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind for, for me, um, is just that persistence, you know, like just, you don't give up. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of one of those things you, you hear is like, it's a startup cliche, but really yeah. startups don't, don't fail. You just stop doing that. Like that sort of thing. I think that really is true. Like it, if you're committed to making something succeed, like, and it's not working, you just, you try something different or you pivot or you keep pushing through, you know, so but you never stop. You, you never stop. You never quit. <laughs> you, never stop. you never stop. You never stop. I mean, I think that that really is because it's like the startup world. This is another thing that you just hear as a, as a kind of a cliche, but it is such a roller coaster. You have such high highs. And then other days where you feel like everything is like crashing and burning. And, it, and, and sometimes it both happen in the same day, it's like, you know, and, and if you can't, push through that and kind of have the mental like capacity to recognize that that's just what's happening. You know, like, look, this is just like a really high moment or this is just a low moment. It's going to change and, and just keep kind of grinding. Um, I think that's like the, the most important thing. And then beyond that, like we, we do have an extremely good team because of all of our different experiences, skill sets. Like we were able to build, the entire product plus, you know, do the, the marketing and sales around it with backgrounds from Eric and, and Will and, and actually build the product and design the product and test the product, do the whole thing with just our co-founders. And that's just because we had the experience, we had the skill sets mm -hmm. within our founding team, um, which obviously is, a, is another huge advantage because it, it makes it so much easier to get an idea off the ground and, and out there and test it without having to rely on funding or, or other the test market was quite quick i guess yeah um 
For me, another question, because I mean, as chief exec or founders, whatever the, the titles, but I'm always interested to hear what what do you like and what you don't like? I mean, I guess just like any entrepreneur is like, you love your product or you love the value you're bringing and you really are into what you are creating. Otherwise, it would never be a 24-7 thing for you. But is, I don't know, for instance, David might be more focused sometimes on the internal things at La Source. And, and so maybe like human relationships or that kind of things comes up as, oh, actually, you know what? That part of a job, I really like it. And sometimes you have other matters or other topics and that's really something you don't really like to have so like invoicing like financial <laughs> stuff like doing the bookkeeper yeah like being the bookkeeper is not necessarily the things that everybody like but just from your end Michael and, and Eric is okay what what is really what you like in your position and what you sometimes maybe like a bit less <laughs> to be politically correct <laughs> yeah um, I think for me, I mean, there's a lot to like. I think one kind of overarching thing is just the feeling that kind of everything you're putting into your job, you know, you're getting out of it like exponentially, um, that it's it's basically like worth it to work hard and try to make it successful because, you know, you, you're really invested literally with time and um, what you've kind of sacrificed to in your career to kind of go do something different and in equity of a company. Whereas when you work for a big brand, you know, everyone is obviously wants to help the company succeed, but really at the core of it, I feel like it's more about how they could kind of get their next promotion. And I don't think that's a negative thing. I think I had that mindset too, of like, okay, well, I'm a manager at the NFL. Like my next step is to become a director and then I could be like a VP. And if I do these things, like that can kind of get me to those mm -hmm. next steps in my career. Whereas at the startup, people aren't really thinking so much about like their titles or promotions. Obviously as it grows, like it becomes that, but you know, it's all about getting the company as a whole to that next level. So we're all kind of celebrating the wins together. And it's much more of like a, a collective than kind of a personal endeavor, which is is great. Um, and then also getting to kind of build a team from scratch and, and go through those pain points of like all of a sudden realizing like, oh, we need, you know, some sort of HR, we need an expense policy and kind of realizing that, you know, there is no kind of blueprint before us for how we're going to create our company. Um, and just building a team and culture has been really satisfying. Um, I think something that comes to mind that I, I don't like, I, I like it because um, it's like a challenge, but at times I'm like, all right, I, I'm, I'm not liking it so much is and maybe this is like blasphemy, but I don't really care, is uh, <laughs> pitching investors. I think mm. that cycle is something that I didn't know much about before this. And it, at first it's fun and exciting and you're like pitching people your idea and they're asking you questions and you're trying to convince them. It's almost a different sort of sales cycle, right? Like you're not selling 
them to buy the product. You're trying to sell this like idea that it could be big, but yeah, there's something about that process that, you know, once you do it so many times, it, it becomes one very repetitive. Uh, A lot of times they all have the exact same questions. It's like um, the exact same questions. It's like, they're just like drawing them from the, you know, a book that they ask everybody. Um, And two, like, yeah, they're, it's hard to find investors whose goals are similar to yours. And that's not any fault of theirs. Like they're just trying to 10 X their, their money as quickly as possible. And it's just a, yeah, it, especially when it takes away from the time and effort you want to spend building the product, building relationships with your customers and really doing kind of the down and dirty work of building the company um, and having to spend so much time kind of convincing these other people that we could make money for them. Um, that part of it, I think, I wouldn't say I, I would look forward to raising again. Mm. Is that is that Michael duty now or, or Will more? <laughs> My, I, yeah, Michael. Michael does that. Yeah, I, it, it was uh, it was going to be the one of the things that I mentioned as a part I don't I don't love either. But um, did did you have experience with that, Michael? Because you worked a little bit with the startups and everything. So all the VC yeah. world and fundraise is that yep. something you were familiar with, or yeah, already? I was I was decently familiar with it. Um, you know, before before Slate, the last company I was at, where I was, you know, one of the earliest people there, I was kind of part of the founding team and the the VP of product. We went through TechStars here in New York, um, and you know, learned a lot about the VC world and and fundraising during that program. And then we we also went out and raised a seed round um, from some investors with with that company. Um, and then Slate, you know, we raised a a convertible note back in right at the very end of 2019 before raising our most recent seed rounds um, just again. But this seed round was definitely the the most intensive, you know, fundraising mm-hmm. process I've ever been a part of. And um, so I learned a lot of new things there as well. It was the first is, one is that it I because, was really the, Is it because you have point. you had more skin in the game or is it just because... I don't know. I mean, it was, it was a bigger round. It was, um, you know, we were talking with more established, mm. bigger investors. You know, we were talking to a lot of like Series A firms and, and, and larger seed firms as well. And, and some, we, we pitched some of the, you know, biggest and most well known VCs out there as well um, that cover the spectrum of, of round size. So we talked with, um, a lot of different people this time and um mm. yeah like eric said it just is like it, it just gets it's very tiring yeah. <laughs> yeah and especially when you're you know just wanting to get back to building the product it can get uh it can, it can get a little bit tiring for sure okay and looking at the bright side i mean i really think that the vc and the financing of things is something underlooked or this is not something that people are thinking of when they are starting or that people are aware of and i think it's it actually plays a key role in terms of development and not killing yourself. And if you can manage to do it without them, sometimes it's even better, but it's not always that easy. And so there is not, again, one answer. But I think this topic is very much important, especially for entrepreneurs and stuff like that. So it's good that, that you raise it. But looking at the bright side, Michael, what 
what, what is it that in Slate, what, when you wake up, you are happy or put a smile on your face? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Eric touched on a lot of the ones that, that I also agree with. I mean, one of them is definitely just sort of that team aspect of, of startups where you have a smaller, more intimate team. And it won't always be that way as we continue to grow. But, you know, it started with just the four of us. And now we're basically like a 20-person team that's still small enough that we all know each other really well and have that, you know, joint feeling of success and failure when things happen. And um, everybody, everything matters to everybody in the company a lot. <laughs> um, that's definitely a, a piece of it. I mean, and then the other one, I think, to me, I was thinking about is just, it's more broad, but just in general, what got me into startups and kind of made me realize um, that this is really what I wanted to do was just the idea of like building something from scratch and then seeing it grow and figuring out how to make it grow. Like actually building a business and growing a business is what I'm most passionate about. Like in a lot of ways, even more so than what that business actually is, <laughs> mm. you know, with, with slate, it is even better because we built a business around, you know, sports and content creation and social, which are other passions of mine. It's like what I went to school for and what I grew mm -hmm. up wanting to do. Um, but you know, I kind of realized early on in my, in my sort of entrepreneurial journey and startup journey, um, like one of the first startups I, I, I built it was kind of just like a little side project I did when we were living in California and it was like a bus shuttle company. And, you know, I wasn't passionate about like buses or transportation mm -hmm. or anything like that. But when we, we built this service from scratch and put it online and saw people actually start buying tickets and saw it growing mm -hmm. and saw it getting coverage in the news, I was like, I, I was, you know, up all night, like building the next website that we wanted to release. And, um, and I realized like, wow, I don't care at all about buses, but I'm like so excited about this right now. And it's because just the act of building and seeing something you've built grow and get traction and, and like people actually value it and want to use it and get, you know, value in their life out of it. Like that part of it is what's really exciting to all right. I'm I the see. opposite. <laughs> you love buses. <laughs> so you don't care about the product and the strategy around the business, right? <laughs> no, I I was always, I always wanted to start my own thing, but it was always only if the idea was something that I like really, really believed in. So I easily could have continued on in working for like big brands and staying in sports and like going, like climbing my career that way. If the right idea didn't come along, you know what I'm saying? Like not mm -hmm. like, but Michael, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs are just like, starting companies just to start them and going from one thing to the next and learning how to do that. And then the right idea and their experience kind of come together. For me, I was never going to leave kind of my career just to kind of be involved in like the entrepreneurial world and start a company. Like, even though I really wanted to, it also had to be an idea that one, I thought super successful too i was really passionate about so like what michael had mentioned about the fact that it's great that it's content creation and it's marketing and social and sports and entertainment like all that stuff for me is like the perfect startup to help grow because i'm, I'm passionate about it and i believe in the product so much but 
like when he was doing the bus thing at the Niners, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, like, I, I was supportive, obviously, <laughs> but I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be a part I don't of care. that because I'm not passionate about it. So I think that's different from a lot of entrepreneurs who are just ready to, to start, you know, companies. Yeah, it's interesting. Things. Yeah. But at, at the time you think it is the, the right idea. That's the only difference there. Mm -hmm. At the time you, you, in your mind, you're like, this is a billion dollar idea. Uh, and, yeah. And it, I didn't think that with the buses then, I guess. Oh, it, it was. It was. You ever heard of Uber? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pretty similar. <laughs> just going back to what you said, you were four at the beginning. Now you're 20 and you have people yeah. also oversee. One of the questions I have was like for you, because for many entrepreneurs or people starting their own company, like you said, like it's it's more of a collective. You're all working in the same direction. You want a success for the company rather than for yourself. When would be the turning point or like tipping or shifting point? I don't know how you want to call it, but is it when you reach 30 to 35 employees? Is it a 50? Is it not a number, but rather a culture? But you know, like myself, like big corporations, at some point you lose it or it becomes more of a personal than a collective. If you had to make a guess, or if you had to put a number in terms of like critical size, what, what would it be? Not necessarily for slates, but in general for you, like when, when is the moment where you start losing a bit more of the collective to, to be more into of a big organizations or SME world? Tough question. Sorry, guys. Yeah. I mean, I think what you said there about is it more a number or more the culture? I, I think the culture is probably the most important part of it. You know, if you do a really good job with building culture and maintaining culture as you scale, you know, you can obviously keep that sort of atmosphere and, and, and feeling mm -hmm. that everybody has of, of the collective um, longer. I, so yeah, it's, it's really hard for me to, for me, Personally, to say, um, I'm sure it's hard for anybody to say, but I've kind of always worked at small companies, so I don't have a lot of experience in those larger corporations. Um, but I, I'm not sure when it would tip, but I definitely think that there is a certain size where it's going to be tough. You know, I would say, yeah, I, I guess maybe not impossible, but I don't know if there's any you know, massive organizations out there in the world that have that same, that every, there's no way everybody in the company feels that way. So at some point it just is going to be impossible to, to maintain. But I think as long as you have that good culture and you scale mm. with culture being, you know, the most important piece. Oh, um, if Slates becomes you know, Uber, then you can exit before and you can leave it to be a Uber, <laughs> Uber size. And that's, that's all right, uh, yeah. I guess. Um, just for me, like on this podcast, more than the entrepreneurial journey also, I wanted to, to ask you, what was the initial vision for Slate? I mean, you mentioned a bit of the story with the 49ers and the pain points you've had and Eric being in NFL at the league level, you doing your own stuff, but what was, okay. What was the initial value proposition, uh, in terms of like, in the instance when you, you start in creating it and putting it in the ends of the different social media guys in the league. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the initial value prop was really 
around Instagram stories and how, you know, every time we were tapping through Instagram stories across sports or media or entertainment or any of these big brands, they all looked the same and they were all using the exact same two or three fonts at that time and the same few kind of sticker packs. And I think the connection was made for us of like, well, these brands have style guides and have their own fonts and their own creative and they're creating these story tiles every day. Why aren't they able to use those? It's because, you know, they don't have easy access to them on their phone. And that's really what started. And I think fonts even alone was uh, one of like the initial drivers. And it's kind of in line with, you know, Michael, Will and Yuri, the three other co-founders were already kind of working on a different font app. Um, so it really like lined up well with what was the, mo what was most used on Instagram stories. And, and now it's grown from, if you want to call it at its kind of smallest, like fonts for Instagram stories to now just content creation for social and being able to produce content for every platform. And that, I guess, problem that we identified a few years ago has grown as TikTok and Reels have become more pre prevalent, short form mm -hmm. video on social is becoming bigger and bigger and more important. And there's more reasons why brands need quick editing tools for their social content in a way that's customized just to them. Um, and so many of the other products out there are really for individuals or creators or small businesses. And we wanted to service the brands and the enterprises. So yeah, I would say kind of at its, its mm -hmm. most specific, it was fonts for Instagram stories creation. And now it's, it's everything. It's content for creation. Yeah, right. Yeah. And where do you see, I mean, the sports industry, just like other industries is going towards more TikTok reels and all of that. How do you see that going forward in terms of social content? I mean, in the future. And how do you see Slate playing a role into this in terms of like leveraging the social media space around the content creation you explained? What, what, what's your guess a bit in terms of like, I don't know, the near and the less near future? I'm not asking you the slate 0.3 or 3.0 or 4.0, but it's more like, how do you see that moving forward? Yeah. And how do you think slate can help or play a role into this? I mean, I, I would say at like a high level, um, you know, things like TikTok, Reels, even the stories platform in general that's or the stories format in general that's not going anywhere, getting added to, to new platforms, even TikTok's talking about adding stories now. Um, you know, things are continuing to move towards more short form video, towards more real time content creation. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's one of, as we first went from launching Slate with this sort of focus on, as Eric was mentioning, like Instagram stories and, and fonts, um, to expanding it and really digging in more on the pain points that these teams had. I think that's where like the insight that, that that Eric and I both had from our time working within teams, social media teams at, at brands and at, um, you know, sports teams, we really leaned on that and recognized why, you know, the products that existed weren't right for, for this moment and weren't right for these particular teams. And it's because 
you know, creating that, creating content for an Instagram stories or a TikTok or um, an Instagram reels or even your Instagram feed or Twitter, like if you're creating content that's especially around a real time situation and a live event or just responding in real time on social media, that requires a level of collaboration between the content creator who a lot of times is like a social media manager or, mm. you know, an intern or sometimes these days like influencers, whoever it may be, and the design team, you know, and that's where a lot of other platforms out there were not you know, optimizing their product for that collaboration between a design team that already existed within a brand and the content creators that existed for that brand, they were just sort of focused on one or the other. And that's as we, you know, as social media continues to go more and more this way towards short form video content or real time content, um, that it's, collaboration is just going to be even more important, you know, because the content creators need to create the content very quickly. But they also need to be using the assets that the designers create for them. So as that real-time nature of social media and short-form video, you know, content creation becomes just continues to become more and more popular in social media. Um, that collaboration between the design team and the content creation team is just going to only continue to be more and more important as well. Yeah. Okay. And for me, I mean, I guess this is particularly true for live content i mean live sports that where you need to be you know now even more with the behind the scenes and everything where you want to publish things without having to wait for a design or a brand team to actually approve everything so i guess this is very much true on, on the live sports side of things but i was wondering if if you guys had a partnership outside of sports you know in terms of like is it also valuable for other organizations than purely the teams, the franchises, maybe the leagues, where it's not necessarily live content that they want to share. But I was, I was just wondering if Slate is very much like sports focus. I mean, you created it in the sports industry, obviously, given your background and your first clients. But is that something you've seen used or that you've been approached for other content or other industries? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, live content, real-time content is definitely what we have been used the most for, especially when we started. And it kind of goes in line with the original idea and the original focus with stories. But as the product's grown and social has grown, you know, so have these use cases. And the thing that we've found a lot recently, and, you know, we work most of our brands are within sports, but some of them aren't teams or leagues. You know, we work with big sports media organizations. We also work mm. with um, brands and apparel companies. Um, and then we do have some brands outside of sports, like beauty brands and media companies outside of sports and a few really like random companies outside of sports, like auto insurance. Um, and what we've noticed and really what we're building towards is kind of exactly what Michael was saying is brands now across the board are facing more and more pressure to create a high volume of engaging short form video and social content. And to do that, they need the tools to be able to create that content efficiently in a way that's on brand. And, you know, we have customers that are using us just for their day to day creation of 
trivia on Instagram stories or putting together a video for TikTok or Reels um, that isn't time sensitive, that isn't in in, in okay. a live event um, because it's easier to create and easier to produce within a single tool versus having to ask your designer to create something, submitting a request to an agency or trying to figure out kind of professional design tools. So really that... Mm. There's the pain point of at a live event, you have to create a high volume of content. How do you do it in a way that's on brand that we solve? But then there's a day-to-day pain point of social teams need to be generating content and they need the tools to be able to do so in a way that's on brand. And they try to- Cost efficient and time efficient as well. Time efficiency and how they work together with their brand designer. You know, the brand designer wants two things. They want their- brand fingerprint across everything and consistency, but they don't want to have to create every single social post. Like it's not their job to actually build every yeah. single social post. So they want to build the brand style guide and the brand guidelines and then empower the content creators to use that. And really there's no good tools to empower content creators to use brand guidelines, which is where we come in. And that has application well beyond like a live event. Um, you know, we're just starting to kind of get into that realm and sort of speaking to brands outside of sports and are finding that pain point is very prevalent and is something that um, that we're solving for. And okay. our product's going to evolve to solve for that even more. Cool. Um, and actually, I'm just watching the, the time and I think this will be the, the last questions on my side, but it's a perfect end over you may there is... Maybe it's one of the hardest questions uh, is, okay, now you've talked about sports and other brands and how this fits into solving their pain points, but where would you like to see Slate in three years? Just, you know, like, is it going to other industries? Is it to have a new product? Is I don't know, but where ideally you would like to see Slate in three years down, down the road? Yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, I think, I think our tool is going to be enough of a utility within the social media world that we could cross industries and businesses and be used by, you know, brands, companies. We're still very focused on B2B, but brands, companies kind of big and small across a variety of industries who need content creation, which is what we think most every brand similar to how social publishing and like a social CMS became something pretty ubiquitous that a business needed to manage social, you know, there, we talked about this recently, but we really think there's the social management and CMS. There's the analytics, which everyone is also buying into like needing the analytics. And now there's the content creation, which that pain point has come up more and more in the last few years. And again, Things like TikTok and Reels are only fueling the need to have a tool to service content creation. And we feel like we fit into that kind of new third bucket that every brand is going to need to be investing in. So, yeah, we want to. Okay. It's definitely crossing industries and being used for both live events and also day to day for a whole variety of different social content. And even mobile app content, which we're already starting to get into as, you know, mobile video consumption changes for owned and operated properties as well. Okay. Michael, anything to add to this uh, beautiful Tedis? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. No, I, I mean, I think that's, I think uh, Eric nailed it all there. Just basically the, 
the go-to tool for brands, any sort of brand creating social media content for any platform and in, in any use case. <laughs> all right. That's, That's cool. it. <laughs> That's all we want. That's yeah. enough. It's, it's a good vision. Um, okay, guys, I think I think that's it for today. Uh, I don't want to keep you any longer. Uh, thanks for the time. Thanks for for the insights. Um, I think everybody can find you on LinkedIn or can contact you directly if need be. Uh, we definitely didn't speak about Slate because I guess your website and everything you've done so far is quite. Uh, seeable and everybody can can reach out to you but i really like the uh the entrepreneurial approach which changes a little bit and gives also a, another flavor to uh, what slate is bringing to uh, the sport and entertainment industry so uh thank you guys for the time and uh, really appreciate it thank you guys thank you, guys. Thank thank you, you david cheers bye-bye